Luke, Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 35. Luke 7, 18 through 35. And we're just simply continuing our series through this gospel of Luke, just to, to, that we might understand who Jesus is, that our faith might be strengthened in Jesus. And I'll be reading the text, it's about 18 verses, so I'll be reading the text within the sermon today. And uh, so 11, Luke 7, 18 to 35. As we come to this passage today, today's uh, sermon from this text addresses the situation when believers have doubt, when believers doubt. As Christians, many of us out here, I wonder if you have ever had doubts about the Christian faith. And I would imagine, since doubt is uh, like a temptation, uh, we know the scriptures tell us that there is no temptation uh, that is uh, uh, overtaking that such as that is not common to man. We know that, and so that there are times as as we live life, as we go through life, there are times we have doubts about the Christian faith, and particularly, specifically, doubts about Christ. Like many of you, you have probably at some time or other doubted whether the Bible is God's word. We uh, it presents itself as such. We teach it as such. We take it. We have faith that it is as such. So sometimes we come to we wonder: Is it really God's word? Perhaps you've, as you've read through some of the uh, Bible stories, you've doubted whether the miracles of Christ actually took place as they were described. Maybe there was some kind of rational, scientific explanation for what took place. Maybe sometimes, as we uh, as we consider, uh, and especially when loved ones die without Christ. Uh, we start wondering about the reality of heaven and hell. Perhaps you even have doubts uh, about whether Jesus is the Son of God or even the Christ. Doubts are not uncommon to man. However, doubts can be dangerous when they are left unanswered and unchecked. And they can lead to devastating stories, much like uh, that you've probably heard in the or read in the news of, of late, you know, stories of that uh, well-known pastor, author, best-selling author, who we heard, uh, heard news of him leaving, divorcing his wife. And then shortly later, we hear that he's leaving, not just his wife, but leaving the faith completely. And these are, this is not just some liberal pastors that we think about. They're not... These are far out. Well, though, yeah, they, they didn't really believe at all. But these are people that you would have thought, wow, they're really believers. They, they were a blessing to us. And sometimes when you hear these stories, and it really does shake you. Right? I know it does affect me. And there are times when you, you hear these stories and you wonder if pastors, Bible-teaching pastors, leave the faith then what hope does the average Christian in the pew have of persevering against their own doubts? And of course, we know the answer. We know the answer is that they do. Over the centuries, there have been many pastors, many leaders who have fallen in the faith. They have turned out to be like Judas, falling away. And yet, the people of God, men and women throughout the ages, have continued to persevere and put their faith in Christ despite their doubts. And what is it that kept them in the faith? What is it that helped them to persevere in the face of doubts? What is it that strengthened them even as they had questions? And I hope that we will learn today that the answer is found 
in God's word. For thankfully, our faith does not rise or fall upon the faithfulness of men or the words of men, but our faith rises and falls upon the faithfulness of God and the word of God, the promises within. Today's passage of scripture that we come to describes an occasion when the great John the Baptist had doubts about Jesus. And he wondered whether Jesus was the expected Messiah or not. And that really is the million-dollar question. Who is Jesus? And more particularly for you, who do you believe and say that Jesus is? Because what you believe and say and think about Jesus will impact your eternal destiny. Is he the Messiah? Is he the Christ? Is he the fulfillment of God's promises to save his people from their sin? Or should we be looking for someone else? Now, a little background to the text this morning. Uh, Luke has, uh, focuses on John the Baptist today, or John, Jesus focuses on John the Baptist today. But it's, John the Baptist plays a very significant role in the Gospel of Luke. For instance, Luke begins with the announcement of the birth of a baby. But that baby's not Jesus. That birth was, is that baby is John the Baptist. Remember that in Luke chapter 1. John the Baptist's birth would be significant because he would then eventually be the forerunner of the Messiah. He would be the one who would announce and prepare the way for the coming of the king, the messianic king. In John chapter 3, we really see John's ministry begin there, and where he became preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And his ministry was a success. All of Israel, people from all over Israel flocked to the wilderness across the Jordan River to hear John's preaching and to be baptized as a display of their repentance from sin, expecting and looking to the coming Messiah that he pointed to. His ministry was so successful, of course, that some began to wonder if he was the Christ. We saw back in Luke chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, that John answered that question, and he said, he answered them, as for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John had a very clear vision for his ministry a very clear purpose. He knew that he was not the Christ. He did not confuse. He did not get no megalomania, even as all Israel was coming to him. He knew where he stood. He knew his calling, and he was called to be the one who would point others to Christ. He knew he was to be the one who would point others to the one that is greater than I. By the way, that's just a great philosophy of vision for all of our lives, isn't it? To point everyone else to one who is greater than I, one who is greater than all of us, right? But that was John's ministry, and he had this clear sense of, of the Messiah. But as we come to this passage today, we see for some reason or other, and we'll look into a, a little bit of what that is, J John begins to have doubt. He begins to wonder, and he, you'll see the question as we read the text. He wonders, are you the expected one? Literally, he used the same term, now, are you the coming one? The coming one who is to be greater than I he wonders, or should we look for someone else? Now, John's doubt here is not a, a doubt of, of unbelief, that he doesn't say, well, I don't believe who you are anymore, 
But there's, it's a doubt that, that, is, that, is, that is a little uncertain. It's uncertain, and we'll look at why it's uncertain in, in, as we look through the text. And I hope that uh, uh, many of you who may be out there may be sitting with your own doubts, and it's quite normal to have doubts. Uh, I love, appreciate after first service, a lot of people came up to me and just kind of shared with me, yeah, I appreciate that, because I have doubts too at times. And it's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have doubts. We, it's human to have doubts. Because we're finite creatures. We don't know everything. But we can go to the Word and find the answers and find strength in it. And hopefully today we'll do that. Luke records for us really three surrounding events uh, regarding John's doubt. Three kind of uh, scenes regarding doubt. And they become for us really three reasons that strengthen our faith when we face doubts about Jesus Christ or doubts about our, of our faith in Christ. So hopefully it will be an encouragement to you and me uh, today. And let's look to the Word then. Okay? Three uh, scenes or three reasons. The first reason that strengthens our faith in the face of doubt is Jesus' deeds. Jesus' deeds. Jesus, the things that Jesus did in his life and ministry. The Jesus, we might simply say Jesus' ministry. But what we learn is that Jesus' deeds are a fulfillment of Scripture. And because they're a fulfillment of the Scripture, they are an encouragement. They give us, they strengthen our faith. When we doubt, we start wondering who he is. Because it, when he fulfills the Scripture, it shows us that he is the Messiah. Let's look at verse 18 to 20, please, with me. Seven, Luke chapter 7, verse 18 to 20. The disciples of John reported to him about all these things. It's sort of a little unusual as we start seeing this beginning of this text. It definitely implies that this is connected with what's preceded before. The disciples of John reported John basically about all these things. Well, they are these things. Well, they're all the things that took place in verse 17 verses of chapter 7. And then particularly, we looked at it last time, two things took place. That are in verse 1 to 17. The healing of a centurion's servant and the raising of the dead of a widow's only son. And for whatever reason, uh, we read here that it causes doubt. Indeed, we'll look at it. Verse 19. Summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? And when the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? Just notice that you can't miss the repetition. Luke's very specifically includes this repetition for us because this was at the heart. This is not just John asking on behalf of a friend, okay? This is John asking because this is what the, was in his heart. This is what he was wondering. And by the way, you would think that, well, to, you, to us today, when you kind of read the stories of verse one to seven, verses 1 to 17, and you read, oh, Jesus cured the Roman, a centurion's servant who was practically dead. And then he raised this, this widow's only son from the dead. You think, oh, yeah, that, that, yay, you know, definitely Messiah. You know, right? Isn't that what you think when you hear those miracles? So why doesn't John think that? What, what is it that causes John when he hears these things taking place? Why does he wonder, are you the expected one? Because John's belief here was a, was one that arose because the circumstances of his life didn't seem to match with what he expected of the Messiah's coming. Or the circumstances of Jesus' ministry did not seem to match with what he expected of the Messiah's ministry. Now recall by this time, where is John? According to John chapter 3, verse 20, he's in prison. That's right. 
He's been imprisoned, locked up in prison by Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great. And he's sitting in prison. You know why? You know he's not going to leave this prison, right? He's gonna, Mark 6 tells us he's going to die. He's going to be beheaded. And while sitting in prison, John begins to have doubts. Because like much of Israel, he started, he's hearing now uh, what Jesus is doing, but he, he had an expectation of the Messiah that the Messiah would be Israel's king, right? He's the coming king, the Davidic, a part of the Davidic covenant, the one who would come and sit on the throne of David forever. He, he knows the Old Testament prophets of Isaiah. He, know, here's a, he, he, just as we saw in Isaiah 3, 16 and 17, he expects the Messiah, Messianic king to come with, with a winnowing fork. You know, he's going to thresh the floor. He's going to clean house. He's going to judge people. But Jesus instead, and, you know, of course, the people that most Israel expected him to judge were their enemies. And who are their enemies? The Romans, okay? So you can, it's kind of curious. John's probably scratching his head. I just heard a story about how Jesus is aiding and abetting the enemy. He just healed a Roman centurion slave. What is he doing that for? And if you also, furthermore, if he's expecting him to come as king and just kind of establish his throne, then why is, a biz, you, know, if you, you know, if you're going to conquer a country, if you're going to, like, just, you know, come and judge, bring your armies and just, you know, destroy all their enemies, the last thing you're going to do is look for some insignificant widow in the Galilee to heal her dead son. That's what Jesus does, right? Of course, we've studied that. So it shows us the compassion of Jesus. But this was completely unexpected for John, as well as for much of Israel. Why is Jesus showing mercy to a Roman centurion? Why is Jesus taking time to show mercy, compassion to an insignificant widow? Because Jesus was not the kind of Messiah that John was expecting, at least not at that time. Now, what's more, particularly for John's particular perspective, if John is the forerunner of the Messianic king, and you know, this was, this was what probably it was his own character, but it, his clear vision of his ministry gave him boldness because he knows that he's announcing the coming of the king. Can you imagine if you come around and say, I'm, I'm here to tell you that the most mighty warrior king in all the universe is coming soon. You don't care what anybody else says, because if you have confidence, that's what's going to happen, right? Well, maybe. But here, if that's the case, here is John in prison. And he's wondering, why doesn't the king, if Jesus is the Messiah, why doesn't he come to deliver me from prison? Why am I sitting in a prison cell, right? You can just imagine, this is just very human, kind of uh, the, the thoughts that are going on to John. And these are probably the things that were leading to the, the doubts that he had. And so he asked, are you the coming one? Are you the Messiah? Or do we look for someone else? John has doubts because, he was, because the ministry of Jesus was not the kind of ministry that he was expecting. Jesus, tell me plainly, are you the Messiah or should we look for someone else? Is what John asked. Now, John's doubts, I think, is just really a great application encouragement for many of us. Because John's doubt reminds us of how our own doubt often arises and works. Because a lot of times, all of us do, we all have a picture in our minds of who Jesus is, right? It's shaped hopefully by Scripture. But sometimes it's just shaped by, you know, some other religious thought. Maybe you saw a movie, you read a book. Maybe you saw, you think he's going to be a superhero, like, you know, uh, the movie, many movies you're watching. Whatever it is, we have a picture of Jesus. We also have a picture of what life ought to look like when we follow Jesus, right? 
And that's informed also hopefully by scripture, but it may be also informed just simply by what we wish, our desires. And when what we expect of Jesus and what we expect of life with Jesus, when that doesn't happen the way we expect, naturally we begin to doubt. Maybe we expected, perhaps, that following Jesus would mean we never struggle with sin again. Did anybody have that one? I know I did when I was a young Christian. And when I started wrestling with sin, I was, like, confused. What did I do? Yeah, I prayed the prayer again because I wasn't sure if I was saved. Or maybe we expected that being part of Christ's church, being part of the church of Jesus Christ, would be like heaven on earth, right? No conflict, no sin, great singing, great-looking people. And then we started being part of a church. Oh, oh, yeah. There are sinners here. And sometimes you've all heard the story, oh, I, you know, I, I believe in Jesus, but I hate the church because they're all just a bunch of hypocrites. I have nothing to do with that. That's, we heard those stories. And some of those are real pains, real painful stories. Perhaps we expected that following Jesus would mean we would have a great job or a, a loving spouse or perfect children. And then they don't happen as we expect. And naturally, we doubt. When we doubt Jesus, then we tend to doubt Jesus. But the, really, the question we must ask ourselves, is my doubt based upon a wrong expectation of Jesus? Is my doubt based upon something that I have expected, made up myself? that expect Jesus to guarantee me when he's never promised to me in his word. Sometimes we expect things of Jesus that he simply does not promise. Or we expect things of Jesus that are reserved for fulfillment when he comes again in glory. And that was the case with John the Baptist. He was expecting something of Jesus that was true, but he did not understand. Remember, he didn't understand the whole idea. Of, no one understood, okay? No one, none of the Israelites, really, even you and I, if we lived in that, we wouldn't have picked it out. This first and second coming of Jesus. Where the first, at his first coming, Jesus would come to die for sins. And it was only at his second coming where he would come to judge sins. And John was real stuck on his particular view of the Messiah that he missed all the signs of Jesus as the Messiah. He saw, all, he heard all that Jesus was doing, all the miracles, all the great teaching, the authoritative teaching. But he did not, it's still, it's still, because it didn't meet with his expectations, it caused a doubt. And so he asked this question. And so Jesus then responds to John's doubts with a most the most straightforward answer in verses 21 to 23. Well, it's straightforward in the sense that he just simply describes what he's doing. Look at 21 to 23 with me, please. At that very time, so right when the disciples came, they asked the question, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits. He gave sight to many who were blind. This is all surrounding Capernaum now. Remember uh, uh, Capernaum and Nain, probably those areas. This is like a, Jesus, a period of Jesus' healing ministries. And he was just healing a lot of people, curing a lot of people, curing blindness, etc. Verse 22, and he answered and said to them, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense in me. Now, John's, it's interesting because John's doubts arose because of Jesus' miracles or on the occasion of Jesus' miracles. But Jesus now answers and points out that it is those very same miraculous deeds of Jesus that reveals that he is or confirms that he is the Messiah. He tells the disciples, the two, John said, go and report what you have seen and heard. 
implication is that those John's disciples actually spent some time and, and listened to Jesus' ministry. They watched him do his ministry, and they could go back and report what they had seen and what they had heard. And what was the summary of Jesus' ministry? Well, he summarizes it, and he states it here in a very straightforward way. But as he states it, there are several references here to Isaiah, prophecies in Isaiah. In fact, all of them are references to prophecies in Isaiah, different places. Isaiah, taken from Isaiah 35, verse 5 and 6, Isaiah 26, verse 19, and Isaiah 61, verse 1, all respective different prophecies regarding uh, the, the time when the messianic king would come and reign on earth. According to Isaiah, the time of Messiah's coming would be associated with the healing of the blind, the lame, the lepers, and the deaf. That would be characteristic of his, of the, of his kingdom on earth. And if that wasn't great enough, the Messiah's coming would be marked by even the dead being raised up, just as we had seen with the widow's son. That's exactly what Jesus has been doing. But that's not all, Jesus points out. As a climax to his deeds, the disciples are to go back and report that the poor have the gospel preached to them. That the, of all the things that Jesus does, right, you think he would have stopped at the dead are raised, bam. But he ends and says, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Let me, a lot of people will read that and say, oh, that's not that important. But that's the m most important thing that the poor have the gospel preached to them. People, these many people were healed of diseases, blindness, de deafness, inability, lameness. Uh, many of these people, nobody was saved by experiencing a miracle. But everyone that was saved was saved through the hearing of the gospel of, of Jesus, of how they can enter the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And they were all saved by that because the gospel is the power of salvation. Jesus came, his healing ministry and his preaching ministry was a fulfillment of all the messianic promises. The gospel being the culmination of all that Jesus did and said. His words would have reminded John that Jesus in his deeds, in his miraculous deeds, as well as his ministry, his authoritative preaching of the gospel, was all a fulfillment of the scriptures. Verse 23, the last verse in this section, is an encouragement to John to not stumble over Jesus. It's a, there's a promise of blessing to those who don't stumble over Jesus. That is the idea is that don't get stumble over what you expect, a, maybe a wrong expectation of Jesus, or maybe something that Jesus does, or something that Jesus says. You say, oh, that, that can't be what the Messiah does. You know, there are a lot of people in this world who are surprised when Jesus doesn't agree with everything you believe. When he ought to, right? No, wrong. We ought to believe in everything that Jesus believes and teaches us. We ought to not let our expectations of Jesus cloud us from seeing the truths about Jesus. Sometimes, and, and, that's, and we, we come to know Jesus and we will we'll lose our, our false expectations when we keep looking into the scriptures and let the scriptures reveal to us who Jesus is. For us today, God, Jesus' words reminds us that in our own doubt, to look again at Jesus. To look at his life, look at his ministry, and see how they're ultimately a fulfillment of the scriptures. You know, we can look at the gospels and see, learn all about Jesus, but if we don't look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament is another whole two-thirds of the Bible. Many of the, the, the Old Testament books all point to whom? To Jesus. And the New Testament points point back to Jesus. And so, I mean, uh, I plugged in first service, I'm plugging in second service. You know, next quarter, we actually have an Old Testament survey class. 
you know, you go to Old Testament survey, it's no use just knowing the stories of the Old Testament. You got to know, and when we study the Old Testament, it, we learn how they point to Jesus, right? That's what, they, that's what we'll be doing in our uh, Old Testament survey class beginning next quarter, and I hope you attend that. But Jesus' miracles, Jesus' deeds confirm for us so when we see how it's a fulfillment of Scripture, it's a, one of the most powerful ways that it strengthens our faith. Just think about all the ways that Jesus fulfilled Scripture, his fulfillment of it. From Isaiah, it's just a lone Isaiah when we look through Isaiah, but in Genesis and uh, throughout uh, all the way to Malachi. Well, that's the first reason. The second reason uh, that strengthens your faith in the face of doubt is not only Jesus' deeds, but John's greatness. John's greatness. We're going to focus. Jesus is going to take some time and, and talk about John for a little bit to the crowds. And he does so as a result, making that John's greatness is another means that encourages us and strengthens our faith in who Jesus is. Because John's greatness ultimately points to the one who is greater than him. John's greatest points to the one greater than him. All right, so let's look at verse 24 through 28. Let's read the whole section. When the messenger of John had left, so they, they left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are, are found in royal palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Jesus is directing his words to the crowds. And you kind of wonder, it's curious why he may be doing so. Perhaps the, the word might have got out about John's doubt. Maybe there was already even a grumbling among the people about John. Perhaps uh, that, well, the fact that he was in prison, maybe that uh, showed that he might have done something wrong or, he got a, or that he was, uh, really just lost his mind. Or maybe he was, they questioned his faithfulness. But in any case, Jesus in these verses reveals his own thoughts of John. And though John expresses his doubt to Jesus, Jesus does not criticize him, but Jesus commends him. Notice rhetorically, Jesus asks the crowds, well, what did you go out to see when you looked for John? Three times he'll ask the question, what did you go out to see? What did you go out to see? What did you go out to see? Everybody went out to see. Even those who didn't believe, those who didn't think they needed it, the religious leaders, they went out to see. Did you go out to see the scenery, he says? Did you go, to go out there to see a reed shaken by the wind? You know, a lot of times we like to go out to those wilderness places, you know, those canyons, those empty, and just kind of look around and say, oh, look at this beautiful, you know, scenery, right? But no, they didn't go out for the scenery. Did they go out to see uh, some, some, uh, some, like, celebrity, some royal figure, maybe? Someone who was dressed in nice, soft clothing? <laughs> uh, someone who was maybe full of, uh, was was a, ro a royal kind of a, a royal uh, heritage? Was he splendidly clothed? Was he uh, wealthy? No. Rhetorically, the expectation was no. But what did they go out to see? Jesus answered the question. They went out to see a prophet. Because that's the only kind of people that are, will be walking around living in the wilderness. And, Je and not only Jesus says of John, not only was he a prophet, yes, he says, but I say to you that he is one who is more than a prophet. 
Jesus commends John as being not only a prophet, but one who's more than a prophet. He wasn't one who wore royal clothes. He, in fact, he wore camel's hair clothes. He didn't eat luxurious foods. In fact, he ate little crickets or grasshoppers or a locust with wild honey. He was more than a prophet. Then, so how is he more than a prophet? How was he one that one who uh, more than one who liked all the Old Testament prophets like Moses or Daniel or Isaiah or Jeremiah or uh, Ezekiel, all these other prophets, Elijah, Elisha? How is he more than that? Well, John was not only a prophet, but he was also the object of prophecy, as we see in verse twenty-seven. Jesus tells us how he's more than a prophet because this is the one about whom it is written. There is scripture that speaks explicitly of John. He is the object of prophecy. This scripture in verse 27 that Jesus quotes is from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. And there it predicts of the one who would come before the Messiah, the prophecy of the forerunner of the Messiah, who would prepare the way for, those, for, the, for the Messiah to come. John was the last of a long line of prophets, all pointing forward to the coming Messiah. All pointing to, he is coming, he is coming. Look to, for him, look for him, he will come. And Jesus says in his own words that among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, because John is the last, and he has spoken of that he was the one who would ultimately be the, first, be the one who would precede the coming of the Messiah. We know John, beyond that, John was unique. He, his birth was announced by the angel Gabriel. In Luke 1.13, he was one who was still with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb in a time when only unique, special individuals were filled with the Holy Spirit for specific tasks, but not John. From his mother's womb, he was filled. John was one who faithfully pointed people to Jesus, the Lamb of God, as we read in our call to worship this morning. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was faithful in, in his proclamation and pointing to Jesus. He called the people to repentance and preparation for Jesus' coming. Where he called people to be baptized for, uh, for uh, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then probably as a final demonstration of his greatness, when Jesus began his ministry and John was, begot, John was arrested, John humbly faded into the background. As he stated in John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. See, Jesus' commendation of John was no exaggeration, right? John was, among those born of women by, at that time, was the greatest. There was no one greater than John excepting Jesus, of course. And then, having made that great statement, just kind of building up, that John is the greatest of all those who were ever born. Then Jesus adds, at the end of verse 28, this statement that just like drops your jaw. What does he say there at the end of verse 28? Look at that. We're all thinking, John's great, John's great. Wow. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. John was a representative of the old era prior to the coming of the Messiah. He lived in the era that was under the old covenant of the law. People were under the law. People could not keep the law. The law only served to condemn them. And, then there was, and no one could obey the law in and of their own strength. And they were all under judgment. And every time they offered their sacrifices, it was just a temporary covering 
all looking forward to never could their sins actually ever be washed away by anything they offered on that altar. He lived in a time, in an era when there was, they were all looking for the king because that king had not come. But when Jesus arrived, when the Messiah arrived, the king arrived. And when the king arrived, a whole new era began. An era marked by the new covenant, Jeremiah 31. Where a new covenant, they were marked by where people would not, not be, would, not, would be, have the law written on their own hearts so that they could actually obey the law. Be empowered and strengthened to observe the law. A law that would be, where people would not be condemned, but would experience grace. Why? Because they would all know the Lord and they would have, because they know the Lord, they would have all their sins forgiven. And we know that that forgiveness of sins is not based upon any obedience to any law, but it was based upon Jesus on the cross. The king dying on the cross for our sins, right? And that's, and so beginning at that point, everyone who believes in Jesus, it becomes a part of that kingdom. Is, a, is, a, is one who is a, a citizen of that kingdom. And Jesus says, even the least of you, so if you have believed in Jesus Christ, everyone who has believed in Jesus is part of that kingdom. Even the least of you is greater than he. John was a representative of an old era. You are part of a new era. As great as it is to be the preparer for the kingdom, it is much greater to be a participant in the kingdom, according to Jesus. Now all of this, Jesus says, not just to praise John, He's made the case that John, there's none greater than John. But he's not saying that just so that John would feel good, because John's disciples are gone. But he also tells us that even the, one, the least in the kingdom is greater than John. And he's not just telling that so you would all feel, oh, I feel special. I feel really good about myself, because I'm, I'm greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was a sinner, so you're just a little greater than a sinner, right? Though he was great. But what does Jesus, why does Jesus say this? Because of this. And Follow me. John's greatness is because of Jesus. He is great because he points to one that is greater than I. That is Jesus. And the least in the kingdom of God, us, our greatness is not because of us, but it's because of Jesus. Our part of the, our Jesus calls us great in the kingdom of God, not because we are, that's, oh, because I'm in the kingdom. But we're in the kingdom because of Jesus. John's greatness, our greatness, is because of Jesus Christ. It's not because of who we are, but it's because of Jesus. Because we have put our faith in Christ. Or we point, or John's case, he pointed to Christ. So who is the greatest? Not John, not you, not me. But it's the king, Jesus Christ. He is what makes John great among all those who are born in the world. He is the one because he is the king in the kingdom of God. He is the one that makes all, even the least in the kingdom of God greater than John because we know him. So when we face doubt about Christ, let us remember how G, the greatness of John the Baptist and even the greatest, the greatness of the least in the kingdom ultimately points us to the absolute greatness of Jesus. May that encourage and strengthen our faith that Jesus is greater than everything and everyone that we might look to 
in this world. A lot of times we, our doubt happens when we forget that Jesus is greater, right? A lot of times we think that a relationship is greater. Sometimes we think that a career is greater than Jesus. Sometimes we think maybe some idol, some material possession, some, uh, some experience is greater than Jesus. But there's no one and nothing greater than Jesus. That's our second point, John's greatness, pointing to the greatness of Jesus Christ. The third, the third kind of reason to strengthen our, that strengthens our faith when we face doubt is found in the final verses 29 and 35, and that is Jesus' disciples. That Jesus' disciples strengthen us. When we see Jesus' disciples, it should strengthen our faith because why? Because Jesus' disciples vindicate him as Christ. And we'll explain that as we look at this text. Jesus' disciples will, will reveal to us the power of the Messiah. Verse 29 to 30 is a a commentary, kind of a a side commentary by Luke here as he records to us the response that the people had to Jesus' words here about John. Look at verse 29 to 30, please. When all the people and the tax collectors heard this, these words about John and about being the least and God being greater than he, they acknowledged God's justice. They acknowledged that God is just, God is right, they just literally they justified God, but they de- declared God just, fair, righteous, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But you notice there was people who didn't respond the same way. The Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. John's ministry pointed people to Jesus' ministry. John's greatness pointed to Jesus' greatness. John's pre- ministry drew those who recognized their sin and their need for forgiveness. And so they were baptized as, as a response to their repentance of sin. But there were others, the religious leaders primarily, the scribes and the Pharisees, who rejected the ministry of John. They rejected the ministry of Jesus as well because they were ultimately, as religiously as they were to lead in their response to the king, but they rejected God's purpose for their lives as l- the leaders of Israel. They were ought, to, ought to have been the first ones in line saying, this is the Messiah. Let us all worship him. Let us all put our faith in him. And as, but because they did not respond, they rejected God's purpose. They were not baptized. They did not heed John. They did not heed Jesus. And the, problem, and the reason was they didn't see themselves as sinners needing salvation. You know, what often keeps people from believing in Jesus Christ, and there's, there are other uh, reasons, but oftentimes, at the, I believe what keeps people from believing in Jesus Christ is not just an intellectual issue or even a theological one, okay? Uh, those may be how it presents, right? Uh, the problem of evil, for instance. Why is there evil uh, when God is so good, and et cetera? But ultimately, down, deep down at the heart of man is that the reason why we doubt God, the reason why we don't believe in God is a, is a moral one, an ethical one. It's because of our own sin, uh, they, uh, people will refuse to believe or, have, or, or start to doubt because of sin in their lives. They recognize, they will, one will either recognize themselves as sinners and, and Jesus as a Savior, or they will deny that they are sinners. And they'll, they'll want to hold on to their lifestyle. They want to do, be, to be free to do what is right in their own eyes. And so they reject Jesus as Savior. This is the these are two ways to respond to Jesus and two ways to respond to John's ministry. 
And Jesus continues verse 31 to 35 with, with a really explanation of this, inver- of this divide. 31 through 35, these final verses. Jesus tells a parable uh, to explain it. To what then shall I compare the men of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another and say, they say, we play the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. You say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet, wisdom is vindicated by all his children. So Jesus tells a parable about the men of that generation, particularly describing those who did not believe, those who would not believe and receive, uh, respond to John's ministry. And he simply describes them almost comically as children. He basically says, you're just being childish, he says. Why they're being like this is because they're childish. They're they're being fickle like children. You know, children, uh, you know, maybe if you had children, children are like, sometimes they, they want one thing one moment, they want, then they realize the next moment they don't want it. Uh, or they want one thing, and then uh, they say they want it, but then you give it to them, they don't, they don't want it anymore. Children are fickle sometimes. They're not happy that others, when they don't dance or when they play the flute, or they don't, they're not happy when, uh, when you don't weep, when they sing a dirge. And they complain that basically others don't play the way they want. But in a similar fashion, the religious leaders were acting like children, Jesus is saying. That they were not liking because people were not responding the way they wanted to. They, they were not playing the way they wanted. They didn't like John the Baptist's ministry, and they didn't like Jesus' ministry. They didn't like John the Baptist because he was, well, let's face it, he was weird. Who, who's going to wear camel's clothing, eat locusts and honey in the wilderness? Right? If you're going to tell people the king is coming, you go to Jerusalem for that. He probably has a demon. That's why he's crazy. Now, and if you're going to be Jesus' ministry, well, let's face it, if you're going to be the king, you're not going to eat with sinners, right? Who eats with sinners? He's holy. He's, he's not going to come for these to spend time with sinners, and that's what Jesus does, so he's a sinner. There was no pleasing the religious leaders. They found it whatever reason they want to, to point out, to, to refuse John's ministry and refuse Jesus' ministry, but ultimately it's not really a theological issue, though they might have presented it that way. At heart was the fact that they were they refused to recognize that they were sinners. At heart, they refused to recognize that they needed salvation as much as the tax gatherers and, and sinners. Jesus will point that out, by the way, when he gets to Luke 15. He tells about the story of the prodigal son and the son that remains home. They're being childish. And though... and it, and. And then you can imagine at that time, to have the religious establishment reject Jesus as a whole was something that was pretty, that's pretty tough to, to swallow for many uh, Israelites. Even it was probably tough for uh, the readers of uh, the Gospel of Luke to know that the religious establishment did not accept Jesus as a Messiah. And so Jesus ends his, his, uh, his, his words here with the final verse in verse uh, 35. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. In the end, what proves the wisdom of Jesus' ministry and John's ministry, of John's teaching and Jesus' teaching, what proves that that is the wise way, that is the wise path of living, the wise way to follow is her children. Matthew puts actually her de- their, uh, their deeds. 
the deeds of, uh, of wisdom. That is, what proves the wisdom of John and Jesus' teaching ministry is the lives of those who follow them. What they do with the teachings of Jesus Christ. You want to know if Jesus is the Messiah? You want to know if he's the king? Then look to those who follow him. Not just those who say they do. It's easy to say, oh, I follow Jesus, right? Jesus talks about that. You can say, Lord, Lord, all you want. But look to those who actually keep his commandments, who strive by the grace of God to keep them and follow them. Think about the Christians. If, you, if you're downing right now, just think about the Christians around you. And ask yourself, what is, is, is there a difference in their life because of Jesus? Think about their lives. Observe the lives and see if there is not a, a change, a transformation in them. See if there are, are they a blessing? Are they that salt? Are they that light? You know, I had a wonderful privilege this past week, uh, last week to have lunch with a brother. And, uh, you know, I was so, I was encouraged by his testimony to me. I love hearing testimonies because he was talking about how he had, he had fallen away. He had gotten caught up in sin. But he was a believer and Jesus did not let him go. And the brother repented and God drew him back. That's the power of Jesus in that man's life. And now he's walking with the Lord, being guided by the truth. I thought to myself, wow, that's a testimony of the power of the Messiah. Because if, if we had our choice, if we didn't have Jesus in our lives, we got caught up in sin, we would just stay there, right? We would just stay there because it would feel good. That's why we choose sin. It feels good to us. Are there people in your lives? Look to the people of God. Look to the disciples of Jesus. Are their lives? Their lives should be a testimony of the reality of the Messiah. And then we can put that, just turn that around and say, are we, as those who believe Jesus Christ, are we testimonies to others? The people around us who may be doubting, who may have wondering, is Jesus real? Do they see Jesus being real in our lives? Do they see the transformation? Do they see change? Do they see a supernatural peace in the midst of trials? Do they see hope in the face of distress? Do they see perseverance in adversity? How has Christ made a difference in your life? God calls you and me to be that salt and light. Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches. John 15, so therefore, what kind of fruit, as we abide in him, ought to be coming out of our lives? What kind of fruit is being produced? Our lives need to be different. Our lives need to be shown is to be a, a way that encourages those who are doubting, those who are maybe even wrestling, or maybe those unbelieving in recognizing that Jesus is the Messiah, drawing people to Christ. God may very well be using your life right now as a means of encouragement to the doubt of another Christian. Well, those are the three categories, the three reasons that strengthen our faith. And I think oh, I just want to come back down to the, to the million-dollar question. The question for us today is even as Jesus, John the Baptist's question is, is, is who is Jesus? Who do you believe Jesus to be? Who do you say that he is? Who do you think that he is? Because how you answer that question and what you believe about that determines your eternal destiny. Today's passage has encouraged you to consider Jesus' deeds, John's greatness, and Jesus' disciples to strengthen your faith 
in who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Messiah. Sometimes we just throw that word, Jesus Christ. But the better word is just simply Jesus the King. Is he the king of your life? And if he's the king, that should change how we relate with him. He's the king upon whom our eternity rests. And he did so by dying on the cross for our sins. That whoever repents of sin and believes upon him is forgiven and becomes a, a, an, a citizen, a part of his kingdom. Now, I want to leave a final word, because with a final word to those of you who are here who are really wrestling with your faith in Christ. Or maybe you're even tottering, not just with a, you know, kind of some doubtful, you know, doubt, but you're tottering on unbelief. You know, you're tottering like, I'm about this close to just walking away right now and never returning to this Christian faith. Now, you may, maybe you've been a long-time Christian. Maybe you've been a, just a Christian for a, a year or two. But you perhaps are afraid of falling away. You can sense it maybe. You're like, oh, man, I'm not sure if I'm really going to, if I really believe this. But then maybe in the recent days you've heard or when you, that your favorite pastor or your favorite Christian, someone you looked up to, has fallen away or fallen into sin. They've fallen off that the pedestal that you set them on. And you're worried that maybe I'm going to fall too. Because if that person who I thought was so godly fell away from Jesus, then maybe I'm going to. I'm trying my best. I'm, I'm holding on, but I just can't figure it out. I just keep having that nagging doubt. And here's what I'll end with a little parable if you will it's not about how tightly you hold on to Jesus it's not about how tightly you hold on to Jesus but remember it's about who is holding your hand who is holding your hand you know those of us that when we go out with our kids when you go you know crossing across the street and you, you know there's traffic Especially little kids, you hold their hands, right? And when you take them to Disneyland, when there's like massive crowds, you hold their hands. You know, what's going to keep them from not getting lost? How tightly they hold on to your hand? Absolutely not, because they generally don't hold on your hands tightly. <laughs> A lot of times they'll try to run away. That's just how kids are. It's because they're immature. But what keeps them from getting lost is how you as a parent hold on to their hands, right? That, that's, and so you, brothers and sisters, remember, you are a child of God. If you have believed in him, then who is holding your hand is Jesus Christ. And he will never let you go. You may wrestle, yes, but he will not let you go. He will never lose you. Now, I'll point to one last passage uh, Let's get that. Let's go to Luke, John 6, 39 to 40. This is what Jesus said. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, 
and I myself will raise him up on the last day. I love that. I lose nothing. That's encouraging. If you, and you, you know, it's, it's, it's healthy to examine your faith in Christ. Very healthy. Very healthy. You should examine. You should examine your life. You can go through First John, work through those things, and say, are there, my life showing the fruits of Christ? But if you have believed genuinely in Christ and you belong to Christ, then you can have the promise of the assurance that he will not let you go. He will not lose you. You may, you may run away for a while and get caught up in sin, but because he loves you, he will discipline you and bring you back. And that's our God. That's our Savior because he's the king. And if you are, and that's one of the great privileges of being part of his kingdom. You can't be in his kingdom and then all of a sudden, oh, I lost my citizenship there. You're his forever. Let's praise him for that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for uh, your word today. And I pray that your word would encourage your people exactly as they need. For those who are wrestling through their doubts, may they find here in your word uh, encouragement to strengthen their faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who does not yet know Jesus Christ, is maybe they thought they were saved, but they're really not and they're coming to realize that there is no evidence even, no fruit in their life, then I pray, Lord, that they would consider today who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah, that he is the coming king, and that they would understand that he came to die for their sins, Lord, that you would show them their sinfulness, their desperate helplessness as sinners in need of a Savior, and cause them, Lord, grant them new life and new birth so they might see the truth of who Jesus is. Bring them to saving faith in Jesus. And then, Lord, for all of us here who may not be wrestling with doubt right now, walking, Lord, with you, help us to continue to be faithful, especially as Jesus' disciples, to live our lives in such a way that shows and demonstrates how the, the power of Christ in our lives, to continually fight against the temptation to wander away, to doubt, but to continue to look to Christ first and foremost, to look to his, your word and be reminded once again of the greatness of our Messiah, the greatness of our King, King forevermore. And Lord, we pray that as we, uh, as we reflect upon Jesus, cause us to continue to love him and he use us as we go forth into our community this week to be witnesses of Christ, open doors for us, give us boldness, give us a, a graciousness, give us a love to go and share with others about who Jesus is. And these things we pray for your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.